Welcome to 30 Minutes with Carrie and Karen. Hello, welcome back to 30 Minutes. So last week, Karen and I talked about financial independence and budgeting. So today we're going to pick up on where we left off and discuss some common financial instruments that might help you with your financial goals. Um, of course, and once again, we would like to note that we are just simply sharing our experiences and we're not financial advisors. So any decisions that you do make are at your own risk. So we just want to be clear about that. But of course, before we get into this discussion, Karen, what tea are you sipping on today? I'm having a hot lemon tea again <laughs> because my mom brought it home. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. Lucky daughter. <laughs> What about you? Um, I'm having my hot matcha green tea today again. So, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so like I mentioned, we previously talked about financial independence and goal setting and budgeting, but of course there are so many additional means to grow your money. And so we do want to talk about investments overall. And, and I know, you know, you can find your own financial planner and advisor, um, but furthermore, you can also educate yourself by just knowing what's out there and seeing what your options are gauging what your own risk aversiveness is. So I guess for starters, there is the tax-free savings account, which I think most people already know about. I'm just not sure if everyone has opened an account yet, but if you haven't, um, hopefully you might consider doing so after listening to this episode. But basically, a, a TFSA is an account where any contributions you do um, make or like the interest that you earn or, or dividends that you earn, um, the capital gains aren't taxed. And when you do withdraw the money from this account, it's withdrawn tax free. And so if you did happen to turn 18 before 2009, your TFSA contribution limit to this point would be $75,500, meaning that you could put up to that amount to the state. And anything or any amount that exceeds that, you would be penalized for it by the government. And also another note for a TFSA is that if you do take money out of your TFSA and you decide you want to put it back in, it would affect your contribution room. So for instance, if you currently have $60,000 sitting in your TFSA and you take out the $10,000 this year, in the following year where the contribution room might be $6,000, you can only put in $6,000 and not the $10,000 back in. Because if you put in more than the contribution room, which is the $6,000, then you would get penalized for it. So yeah, start putting your money in that so that you don't get taxed on any earnings that you do make. So there are various TFSA accounts that you can open, one of them being a cash account, like a high interest savings account, and they generally start at I want to say like 2.5% for maybe a six-month term or a one-year term, and then they drop to like, what, Karen, like a 0.2% rate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I would say it's a very passive way to grow your money. Like, I'm not even sure if it beats inflation. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then there's guaranteed income certificates, which which is known as GICs. So essentially, for GICs, you're putting like a lump sum of money into the bank or the financial institution. And then usually that amount of money is locked in for a number of years. Um, So it could be like two years or up to six years. And usually the longer you keep the money in for, the higher the interest rate would be. Um, Karen, I know you used to be really into the whole GIC scene. (laughs) What, What was your experience like? buying GICs because I used to always hear you talk about it. Yeah, so I know before, um, I would say almost probably maybe close to 10 years ago or something. Oh, wow. Yeah. um, The interest rate used to be like way higher. And, and, you know, I would actually find that um, I would put in the money for like three or five years or, or whatnot because the interest was, it was pretty decent. I think like maybe closer to like three, four, five percent. I've oh wow, I've, yeah, I've had it. Yeah, I've had some GICs that actually had a really high return. Um, I know now when I have my GS GIC, I usually just lock it in for a year and kind of see like the following year if the rates got better or not. Like, I, yeah, I I don't tend to lock it in for more because I find that. Let's say in one year, it might be like 1.2%, but for two years, it's maybe like 1.3 or 1.4. So so it's almost the same. Like I'd, I'd rather just see like next year when I renew, would it be higher? But one thing that's really interesting that I found, well, at the bank that I buy the GICs from is that if you don't um, like go into the bank to like talk to a financial advisor, uh, they give you like a really terrible rate, like point point five five percent or something but if you actually walked in like like you know set up an appointment with a financial advisor they can actually like increase that like they give their maximum cap and then you might be able to get like one one percent or like one point one so bottom line is if you are considering a gic go talk to a real person than opening up your own account through the internet or something I guess so. Yeah, because yeah, because they have like a little more leverage and can give you a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> mm, okay, good to know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I know another popular instrument is mutual funds. Um, so usually mutual funds is you would have a financial advisor or essentially like there would be an advisor who helps sets up and manages a portfolio of funds for you. And usually mutual funds are more for long-term growth. Um, And this is usually more of like a set it and forget it because someone else manages it for you in the background. And usually there are fees involved in this that you don't really see. It's like you would just get the amount that you earned after the fees are paid out to the advisor. Um, So your gains aren't necessarily reflected on the market rate. So what I mean by this is, let's say the market rate is 12%. 12%. Like, let's say you you would have gotten 12% back, but because of all the fees, let's say 5% goes back to the advisor as fees. And so you only net a 7% gain. Mm. 
I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I I used to hear you talk about mutual funds quite often. Um, mm-hmm. it wasn't something. Yeah, it wasn't something that I really had any investments in uh, until recently, uh, through like an investment account. But yeah. Oh, like yeah. what? What is your experience with mutual funds? It's definitely more passive, and like there, there's like you're very limited to what you can do with it because essentially like there are portfolios and and funds that are already preset mm. and so you basically like pick and choose your risk level. Right. If if you do expose yourself to more risk then there's potential that you would gain more. So it it really depends on like what you're comfortable with. Like if you want to be more passive, you want to choose a more low risk um portfolio and and they would help you pick that um but I think overall like I didn't really see much gains on mutual funds like it was very little and especially before I did do it through an advisor mm-hmm. and now I'm using those like robo advisor like where, where you just like pick your own like you, you do it yourself mm-hmm. sort of thing so I have like a much higher interest rate in terms of my returns okay okay yeah, but overall, like I would consider it to be more passive than other instruments such as trading stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so on that note, um, yes, yeah, stocks and trading stocks is quite popular as well, and I think it's honestly blown up. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of new investors are getting into the scene now. Mm. Um, but yeah, I know this is really interesting for Karen and I to talk about. But before we get into it, like stocks and, and trading stocks is essentially buying a stock or share, which means that you're you're buying partial ownership into the company. And usually the buying and trading or, or selling can be done through a brokerage or through your advisor, or you can do it yourself using a robo-advisor Um, Usually it involves commissions, might not, so just double check with the platform or brokerage that you're using. And you can trade individual stocks, Um, you can trade exchange traded funds, which is known as ETFs. So essentially you're buying a collection of stocks, which I think helps people take on lower risk because you're not just cashing all your money into one company whereas it's like a pool of different companies that you're buying or selling. And yeah, I think stocks and trading in general compared to other um, instruments that we've talked about, like mutual funds, GICs, cash, it's, it is higher risk and you probably have like the most control over this one. So Karen, I know you've been very involved with stocks a little longer <laughs> than I have. So what has your experience been and what are some insights that you want to share about trading? I think to start, it's like even even for the stocks that I have purchased in the past, I tend to like to go for, I don't want to say like a bigger company, but at least a company that has had like a history where I can see like you know, in like the last five years, how their performance has been. Like, I'm not crazy into penny stocks or the, the like the hyped up ones. <laughs> I, I don't really know how to say it. Um, but yeah, and and I think some some something that I I would say learn from my mom actually is to really look at the like the price to earnings ratio like the PE ratio for, for the company, just to decide, like, you know, is it an expensive company now to in, invest in? Like, is the stock expensive or cheap? Um, and I know it's really hard now 
with looking at the P ratio because like the market has just been so crazy. Yes. And you know, yeah, like the valuations is just it's all over the place. So so um I don't want to say like, you know, base all I, I base all my investment decisions on that, but it's something that like the PE ratio is definitely something that I do consider. And another thing is I I for myself I tend to find that I like investing in stocks that have like a tangible product. You know, like I know they're making something that is producing like a revenue or like some type of income or like they offer a service. I definitely choose those over other stocks that might not be geared towards that, but I think with, you know, with COVID, I guess ever since like this like last year up until now, I would say March, March of 2020 to, you know, April now, um it has been all over the place and and sometimes when I think that the market like my portfolio should be doing poorly, for whatever reason it does really well and other times where i feel like it it should be doing well um it's like plummeting <laughs> so so yeah that's just kind of i guess my experience um and you know like my preferences for the type of stocks that i i like to have in my portfolio um yeah what what about you like i know our portfolios are quite different like there are some things that we both have in common but also differences as well <laughs> yeah um well yeah i've like i guess training for me is is a little newer like i got into it last year um when when the covid crash happened and i just felt like well now's a good time to buy as any and i mean that's sad like it wasn't simply because of the covid crash that i got into stocks but i've i've been paying attention to it like i personally like economics and we learn a bit about trading in in business school um and so you know it was exciting to get into it but i just never really knew when to so i kind of felt that was like a good opportunity um especially because some of the companies that i did buy i was like i i felt that oh like they would probably recover within due time mm. but you know i i've i've learned quite a bit of stuff and i think for me like i've never really been big on gambling and even when i when when i have played in casinos or whatever and Karen you, you know this cuz we've been to Vegas together sometimes i <laughs> i do get a little emotional you know even playing those like coin slot machines um and and i do recognize that emotion that I do get when I do get really excited or really um frustrated you know and so when it came to trading like in the beginning it was just so addicting for me like I would look at these companies like every other hour of the day like it was <laughs> it was addicting um but I also felt that like surge of emotion when you know a stock that I did buy like was performing well and what not so I think first and foremost it was like I I really had to recognize this in myself and yeah like just being aware I think helped me like know to have to calm myself down or close the app or just like you know that self-control of like not 
looking at news or whatever it was. So I think first and foremost, like that's what I learned about myself when it came to training. Um, but, you know, ultimately, I do agree with you, like, and, and I think this is how we're similar is that like, we do do our own research, you know, and, and, and we do, or at least like for me, I like to know, you know, like what this company is about and not just trade based on like, their value and it's not really like gambling or at least like that's not how I approach training um it's more like yeah like like looking at their like earnings um what their strategic plan is what their goals are like what their product and services are and just like not so much on like what's going on in the news like what other people are saying about it in the news because I personally feel like the moment it hits the news and it becomes mainstream, like you're a little too late to get in on it. And usually that's when the crash happens because of that overconfidence. So that's kind of like my take on it. And I think another thing is just just being mindful of like when you're feeling greedy or, or when other people are being greedy about a stock, like just recognizing that and stopping yourself before you get really carried away with it and, and you're no longer thinking logically I think that is like another big thing right and you know it's it's interesting um that you talk about you know like the emotions and making sure that whether it's like the greed or not because the fact that you know like when the market does go up or like crash right you you don't actually like lose the money or or gain that money until you sell yeah no like that's totally it right is um and, and and you do bring up a really good point because like you don't want to get sucked into emotional investing and and investing with your feelings like that's not even investing at that point right like that's pretty much gambling and if you do see a stock crash or like lose however much you don't want to like panic sell or at least like we wouldn't recommend doing that because like Karen said like you don't actually lose the money until you actually sell it and it's out of your hands and then same with buying but it's more so selling because I've I think I've recognized this and I follow a lot of subreddits and like talk to friends and just hearing stories from other people that like oh like they lost this much but it's not an actual realized loss until you press the sell button so and, and I think this is like where Karen and my um, investing philosophy comes in is like we want to actually invest in a company that like we truly believe in and, and if they are experiencing like a blip or like a hiccup or whatever and, and there is a crash in their share prices like we don't typically immediately sell right like we we'll usually hold it because we do believe like long term it will go up and just the stock market in general like if you zoom out and look at like the past five years ten years like how, however many years like you'll see that like it like the market does fluctuate and goes up and down so just be mindful that like volatility does happen but that shouldn't trigger emotional investments so i know crypto is a huge thing and i think a lot of emotional investing has taken place with cryptocurrency and so this is basically like a digital currency that's become very popularized and, and mainstream now and you know there's stuff like bitcoin there's bitcoin cash there's litecoin ethereum like there are so many cryptocurrencies out there 
But Karen, I'm curious how you feel about cryptocurrencies now, because I know a couple years back, like I used to talk about it and you weren't all that crazy about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm st- honestly like I'm still not really crazy about it. And it does come with, you know, I think the same approach that I have with stocks and trading is the fact that like cryptocurrency and like, you know, digital currency and like just the idea of that, it's like so intangible to me, Mm. you know, and I feel like it's not something that I can like physically see, like I can't count how much money, you know, like the currency, you know, like touch and feel. And, And so to me, I feel like there's no real value. Um, which is obviously not the case for some people. Like I know the other day you were just telling me about how you, I think you read or saw someone who like purchased their first home with Bitcoin or something. Yeah. <laughs> and so obviously, yeah, like there are investors who are, you know, really into the g- digital currency and, and, you know, consumers that do find they, you know, there is like a security with, with these digital currencies. But I think also um, one thing that maybe has contributed to the way I feel about it is because um, back when they had like do- doggy coin, dodge coin, I don't know how they say uh-huh. it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like my brother like told me about it and this was like, I don't know, like seven, eight years. No, more than that. Maybe, yeah, I, I don't know. It's been a while. And, you know, he told me about this. And I was like, oh, my God, like, the Shiba is so cute. You know, and it's always been like, oh, it's so cute. Like, <laughs> fake money. You know, like, just, like, that idea, right? And then now seeing it blow up the way that it has now, um, it's almost like, I don't know, surreal. Like, it's like, is this real life? You know, like, I just can't <laughs> believe it. Um, yeah, I mean, like, how, how do you feel about it? Because I know we've asked each other, like, oh, are you, you know, are you investing in crypto? Like, are, are you following crypto? And- yeah, are, are you buying it yet? You know? <laughs> um, but I mean, like, I, I think you're totally right in the sense that, like, it does seem intangible. And, like, especially now that it's become mainstream, I've, I've found that, like, all it takes is one person or a couple people to say something about it. Like, you know, obviously, like, fame, like well, well-known people, right, um, to make a comment or two about it, and the price reacts based on what people are saying. You know, like, I, I think this has been made prominent by Elon Musk, for for instance, like mm. when it came to like Dogecoin, <laughs> mm-hmm. like it's literally become so popular and valued at like what I think it's sixty cents now because Elon Musk made some comments about it over Twitter. If you did buy Dogecoin for fun several years ago mm. and you're and you've held it till now, like yeah, you're probably like super rich now, right? Because I think it was like <laughs> two cents back then and now it's like 60 or whatever per coin. Mm. But I, I think that is like the risk. And I think for myself, I was really interested in it before. And I think this was like back in 2018 when it was like getting really popular. And I think Bitcoin was hitting like 26 grand, like almost 30 grand. Mm. Um, I actually got into Litecoin and I, I bought a few Litecoins. At this point, like, I was still learning about it. But I think I was also experiencing a bit of FOMO, where it's like, oh, like, it's going up. Like, I I should really get into it before I miss out, you know. Um, But I think I just didn't do enough of my own due diligence and research. 
And so I had actually put, um, like I, I had bought Litecoins and left them, I don't know, like the coins in the exchange, like on the platform. So apparently I learned afterwards that that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to store your cryptocurrency into a digital wallet mm. or some, some, something of that sort, you know, and, and, and you get like a, like a crypto key or an ID or, or something. So I didn't know this, you know, at the time. And so the platform that I did invest on which was like a Canadian exchange they apparently went bankrupt and apparently like allegedly the CEO died and then the wife went MIA and allegations are that they stole everyone's money and declared bankruptcy and like fled the country um so I don't know if I'm ever gonna see that money again and it kind of sucks because Litecoin has doubled since then Mm. um but but, you know, and, and so I think I was okay because I lost a few hundred dollars, but I knew some people that lost, like, hundreds of thousands. Oh, wow. You know, like, some people put their life savings into this platform. And and I think even talking to some people afterwards, some people were like, oh, well, you're supposed to put it in this digital wallet or have this key or, you know, all these things that, like, I didn't really know about. And I'm guessing many other people didn't know either. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gotten scammed, right? But I think this mm. was just so new at the time. And it's still, like, a relatively new thing. Like, now that it's becoming more mainstream, I think people are, like, still learning about it. So I think for me, it's like, yeah, like, I would like to get into it again. But I think I would need to do more research. And I think why I would want to get into it is, like, I think it's just, like, a new generation of currency for 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 the future generations to use and and some of the sentiments that i've heard revolving around like cryptocurrency it's just like oh yeah like it's not like fiat money that's controlled by like wall street anymore it's like money that like everyone can like has a chance to like earn Mm. and use how they want anonymously like it's not tied back to your identity and all these like security perks so i'm very interested to see what happens with with crypto like I am curious um but at this point like I do recognize like I still need to do more research and be wary of like what exactly the risks are mm-hmm. yeah no I mean it's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I know like when I've just like briefly read up on you know crypto they talk about how maybe one of the main reasons why it's still not I guess, used in the, you know, existing system is because there's not enough, how how do we say it? Like maybe, maybe like, let's say compared to like fiat money that you're Mm -hmm. talking about, right? Like there isn't like uh, a Bitcoin ATM or like a, like a crypto bank where you can like walk in or there's, there's a teller or there's an ATM and you can just like withdraw like these Bitcoins, you know? Well, there, there are actually some ATMs in the U.S. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but I've, I've never used them, but I, I do know they exist, and not only in the U.S., but, like, around Europe and some other okay. places as well. Yeah, but it's, it's very little. Like, I haven't seen much of them. Like, I think it's still in the early adoption stage, but, like, you're, you're right in that sense that, like, it still isn't very popular and people can't really have, like, super easy access 
to it right now. Right. Like, I think once it becomes like, you know, more like, I guess more familiar, like now that they, they do have it in some parts of the world, right? It's like, if they did make that like concept of, oh, withdrawing Bitcoin is the same as going to like a traditional mm. teller and taking out your money, like maybe there would be more comfort in that. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because like, I have noticed, um, some some companies getting on board and talking about adopting crypto as another form or another method of payment mm -hmm. like like I think PayPal has been talking about adding crypto possibly mm. um like some some banks have talked about trading crypto like or not trading but like using it as a method in b2b transactions right. so there is some speculation that there is adoption so, which is why I'm curious as to like where the path will will go in this case. Yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be very interesting to <laughs> to see. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, we could talk about crypto forever. <laughs> and I think why we're talking about it, you know, under the TFSA umbrella is because we've also noticed some platforms or exchanges offering the option to trade crypto as well. So just remember to trade at your own risk when it does come to crypto, of course. <laughs> um, but Karen, I know you also want to talk about RSPs. So RSPs are known as Registered Retirement Savings Plans, and this is different from a TFSA in that it's not a tax-free savings account, but it's more considered a tax-advantaged account. And there are different RSPs that are available. One of the most common ones that individuals tend to have are administered by themselves, and this is because it gives them the freedom to invest in the retirement savings that they want, such as you know buying stocks or investing in bonds and index funds. Um, which are which are some of the common RSP investments. And with these RSPs, it's good to note that there is a contribution limit. As of 2020, um, the maximum amount that you can contribute is $27,230. And this is according to the Canada Revenue Agency. And usually it is 18% of your earned income, so up to a maximum of the $27,000. In addition to the individual RSPs, there's also an, uh, one that's known as the Employment Administered Retirement Savings Account, and it's a Group Registered Retirement Savings Plan. So some of the advantages of why you should consider a group RSP uh, compared to you know, opening your own individual RSP is that uh, if the company does offer it, um, it's likely that they do contribute roughly 3% to 5% of your salary into the account as well. Also, um, this contribution that you make to the group RSP is put into the account through the employee's payroll deductions. So it's nice that, you know, you don't have to put aside certain money and make yourself that mental note that like, oh, I need to deposit this money into my RSP. It's just automatically done through your payroll. And it's also um, a tax relief to the employee because let's say that you made $10,000. If you were to put this money into the group RSP, it would still count as a $10,000 contribution. Whereas if you didn't have this group RSP and you made the same $10,000, after tax, it would be a $7,000 contribution into your individual RSP. However, you know, obviously there are also disadvantages and some of 
the disadvantages would be limited investment options that the employer offers to the employee. And also because the employer's contribution to the employee is also like a taxable income. So, so obviously there are you know, advantages and disadvantages. And if your company does offer you those group RSPs, it's good to just be mindful of all these things. Um, there are also several different other types of RSPs, such as something called the spousal RSP or a pooled RSP. And if, you know, if you're married or you are self-employed, those are options that you could look into as well. So it's important to note that with RSPs, the individual can withdraw the money or the investments at any point. And also the money that you do withdraw is considered taxable income the year that you do withdraw it. Uh, there are some conditions where you aren't taxed. Uh, I think it's if you use it to buy or build your own home or it's for education purposes. And then also because, you know, it, it is it is really, really important to highlight that this is taxable income. So it's not the tax-free savings. And the main purpose of contributing to an RSP is because it would ultimately delay the payment of the taxes until retirement. Because let's say you are in a really high tax bracket right now while you're working. When you do retire, the expectation is that you are in a lower tax bracket. And so you would pay less tax. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Karen. So yes, obviously, there are a lot of um, different directions you can take in terms of saving and growing your money. So I think all of that is to say, you know, when you do decide to start on this path, or if you are already doing some of these things, some risks that we do want to mention to be wary of include scams, especially now because of COVID and just this like world of digital transactions and platforms and trading. So just make sure you do your research on who this company is or who the brokerage or advisor is before you put your money into it. And also how your money gets held with the service you do use. Make sure that they are CDIC protected. Um, and then just think about FOMO, you know, like just being aware of your own emotions when it comes to trading or investing your money. Learn to make these well-informed decisions for yourself and just knowing what works for others might not work for you, especially when it comes to stocks. Um, you know, it's, it's really easy to get caught up in what everyone else is saying, but just just keep in mind like what works for you. Also, um, you know, just being mindful of taxes, um, being mindful of your contribution room for your TFSA or your RSPs, and yeah, don't invest in what you can't afford to lose, and always, always do your own research. So some of the takeaways, as I know we talked about a lot, is just think about your financial independence and what that means for you. And think about your own financial goals, as we did mention last week. And consider what financial instruments do work best for you and how risk averse you do want to be. And only invest in what you can afford to lose. And like I said, always do your own research. Be wary of FOMO, oversaturation of the news, any speculations. And then just also staying focused and honest and committed to your plan. Yeah, I think that about sums it up. Karen, do you have anything to add? Uh, nope, nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> 
Awesome. So once again, thank you so much for listening to part two of our financial planning episode. Um, We hope that you've had a chance to learn something new that might help with your financial growth. And yeah, we hope you have a great week ahead and we'll see you again next Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. If you listened and enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with your friends. Please make sure to also visit us at 30minutes.com. That's 30 as in T-H-I-R-T-E-A minutes.com to check in for more updates, learn how to contact us, and more. We'll see you next Sunday.